Moth Sanctuary Productions presents The Outsider, a Penny Dreadful novella, written by Andrew Bate and read by Chloe Gorman. Part 3 Home of the Night Things My eyes opened to the fluttering of my nightgown around my ankles. A cold, damp patch had formed on my back and under my hip. A breeze whistled around my ears. My vision adjusted to the dark, and I scrambled upright in horror as I realised I was outside, lying on the bare wet grass in the main chamber of the abbey. All around me were the long, reaching shadows cast by the moonlight through the high arches. Panic overcame me and my breath quickened until I was seeing bright spots. I attempted to control myself, but the fear was too great. I was dwarfed between the ruined walls, one of which may have contained the mouldering remains of the nun from that story I'd heard, and it felt as though I had been swallowed by some ghoulish wail. A lurking presence seemed to emanate from each blackened corner, as if I were being stalked by a pack of wolves, waiting for the right moment to kill its prey. I looked up and saw the night sky through the missing ceiling, Silently the clouds whirled past the bright moon, swirling and bubbling in an unnatural formation. But just as frightening as my surroundings was the uncertainty of my circumstances. How had I come to be here, and why did I have no memory of it? And of all places, why had I found myself in the one I feared above any other? Prolonged exposure to the elements in nothing but my nightwear had chilled me to my bones. If I stayed here any longer, I risked serious danger to my health as well as my sanity. Hurrying to my knees, I felt my feet slide against one another, slick with some sort of coating. I reached down and touched them, and though I could not see what the patches on my fingers were, as I brought them closer to my face, I caught the unmistakable copper scent of blood. My feet were covered in it. I tried to stand, and pain shot through my soles, sending me hobbling back down to the ground. If there really was something watching me from the shadows, that would have been their moment to strike. I was helpless, powerless, and unable to move. But the stillness remained. I crawled forward in desperation to escape, and as I did, a torrent of thoughts flashed through my head. Whose blood was upon me? Have I hurt someone? There was a momentary break in the cloud cover. The moonlight shone brightly upon the back wall of the abbey, and I screamed. There was something there. The terrible features of a face, beset with long reaches of shadow, had appeared in the illuminated patch. Its expression was hard, serious, unflinching and unmoving. I was so shaken by its sudden reveal that it took me a moment to realise that I was looking at a statue, though it was unlike any statue I'd ever seen inside any holy building. From what I could make out in the dismal light, the face belonged to a large, muscular, man-like creature with great gills and strange tentacles framing the lower part of his face. The eyes were wide, wider than any man's could be, with a prominent straight line of a brow, a non-existent nose, and a bare, hairless scalp. The features that were recognisably human could almost have been described as Romanesque, but the rest was unmistakably fish-like. The darkness obscured many of the finer details of the torso and legs, but the sheer size and length of its limbs exuded a primal power. It was constructed of some unknown, green-tinged rock that glistened like wet scales in the light. 
It staggered me to think that a place that had once been a grand venue of religious oversight and home to a collection of nuns would have such an alien construction inside. It was something so vastly bestial in its appearance that it defied all known creation, and I couldn't help but wonder who or what it depicted. The clouds covered the moon once more, and the stone form was once again totally returned to darkness. Before I had been too struck by the sight to truly fear it, but now that it had receded into the impenetrable shadows once again, it had become another potential threat, a co-conspirator to my abduction and a spectator in the theatre of my fear. In desperation, I ignored the pain in my feet and crawled across the grass, doubling my effort to get out. The abbey was like a maze, and I found it hard to find my bearings. Blind, my hands would come down upon one of the stones, or my shoulder would slam into a half-wrecked wall, but I kept moving. The sound of something wet slapping against the floor behind me echoed throughout the empty chamber, and I froze. My breath shuddered into my lungs, and my eyes searched the unfathomable nothingness all around me fruitlessly for any trace of movement. I stayed in this state for what felt like hours, but may have only been a minute or two. No other sound came. Sick with fear, I gathered my resolve, gritted my teeth and pulled myself to my feet. Pain radiated from where they made contact with the ground, but I was now too frightened to care. I limped my way forward with as much speed as I could manage, and after countless minutes meandering through the labyrinthine passageways, I eventually found the way out. My pace got faster as I neared the last passageway and, even as I slipped out of the abbey's clutches, I didn't stop running. I wanted to be as far away from it as soon as I could. If that meant I rushed right off the cliff edge and met my end in the frigid sea, then so be it, just as long as there was more distance between me and that dreadful ruin. When I stepped back onto the road, a fresh pain, more acute than before, confirmed that the blood I was covered in was my own. My feet had been cut by the unyielding paths and assorted detritus of the streets on my long walk from the hotel. I could have stepped on broken glass, rocks, anything, and yet somehow the pain hadn't broken my somnambulism. Despite this, I kept moving, for ahead of me was the old churchyard, an unavoidable obstacle I had no choice but to pass through if I were to return to the relative safety of my hotel. I passed onto the grounds, and the wide swathe of headstones opened up before me, themselves resembling a haunted garden of statues. I kept my head firmly facing down, not wishing to confront anything that I may see there. My imagination conjured visions of dead sailors' spirits roaming the grounds looking for their plot, or of the empty grave's secret entrances opening to allow the emergence of some sinister undead creature. Though my head was turned away, in my periphery I noticed a light. Turning towards it, I saw that it was coming from within the church, shining through the window like a beacon in the night. In an instant, I decided that I would be better off taking my chances with whoever was within, even if it were the disquieting groundskeeper, rather than continue through in this compromised state. At least inside I could sit, gather my thoughts, warm myself and clean the wounds on my feet. I cried out for the person inside to help as I approached. I was only a few steps away from the door, when the light in the window was extinguished and the church fell silent and still. I stopped dead in my tracks. The tingle of goosebumps shimmered all over me. Why would they have done that? Unless they weren't friendly. Faced with another potential threat inside, I slowly backed away from the building, my fear now threatening to overwhelm me. 
I kept my eyes focused on the door in case it should open suddenly, revealing whoever was inside. I found my way back onto the path and hurried onwards towards the top of the 200 steps, hoping I wouldn't be pursued. I knew there was a street light there, and at that moment I craved the light more than anything. I wanted to be safe and warm back in my hotel. I wanted to be calm and unafraid, but mostly I wanted to bathe myself in illumination and never see the darkness of a shadow for the rest of my life. Eventually I reached it, the end of the path and the start of those steps. I grabbed the handrail with both hands, taking the weight from my aching feet, and made my way down the curving stairs to where the light was. The sentinel lamppost was a welcome sanctuary, and I almost felt warmed by the shine of the little flame. In the glow, I could clearly make out the shape of bloody footprints heading up the stairs in the opposite direction. Mine. A disconnected sense of dizziness overcame me, as I was presented with this evidence of an action I had no memory of making. I looked behind me. There were fresh tracks, and they were more or less identical. Once again, another hoped-for haven had proven itself untrustworthy, and I didn't stop under the light. Instead of keeping me safe from the terrible things that lurked in the dark, in fact, it revealed even more of them, this time ones of my own making. And so I pressed on, clutching the handrail, and trying not to let my weakened legs give out and send me hurtling down each of the steps. When my feet kissed the ground at the bottom, I let go of the breath I had been holding since the moment I woke. The first traces of dawn began to present themselves in the sky as I walked the long road back to the hotel. This took me by surprise, as I'd had no idea what the time was when I awoke in the abbey. Before long I was passing the first early rises of the day, wandering out onto the street, including the man who had yelled at me on the beach. They froze and parted before me as I ambled down the path. Silently I passed them, walking like one in a dream, staring blankly ahead. They offered nothing in response. No words, no help, no movement. Though my memory of this moment had always been of their callous cruelty in the face of my helplessness, I'd never thought of how the scene must have seemed to them. A woman in naught but her blood-stained bedclothes, hair in disarray, walking as if hypnotised down the main street just before dawn, leaving bloody tracks behind her. Part of me now wonders if they didn't seek to help me, because they were afraid of me. The storm had broken, and this was its terrible devastation. After my earlier stumble, this time I fully collapsed as I stepped through the doors of the hotel, my eyes fluttering with strain, my body weak and trembling with the cold. I mumbled what to my mind was Eliza Jane's name, though it could just as easily have simply been a moan. Either way, the manager was nowhere to be found. Faced with the prospect of no aid coming soon, I pushed myself onto my hands and knees and started to crawl. The last ounce of my effort went into carrying myself across the red-carpeted foyer to the stairs, and eventually back to my room, where I could cry and scream and sleep and bury myself beneath the warm embrace of my blankets, and never step foot outside again. The door to the Harker room was slightly ajar, meaning my sleeping self hadn't seemed to close it when I left, and Eliza Jane hadn't yet been to check the rooms this morning. I pushed it open fully, dragged myself across the threshold, and closed it firmly, pressing my back into the wood and hitting my head against the key in the lock as I did so. Home, I thought, and it struck me as strange that I should think it so. This room felt like everything but what a home should be to me. 
but for right now, to feel even remotely safe and be somewhere warm and out of the wind made it a palace. I moved my frozen form into the bathroom and started filling the bath with hot water, pulling myself in as it ran so I could warm myself while the taps flowed. The heat stung the many wounds on my feet. I let the fluid flow over them, shifting some of the caked dried blood loose which in turn stained the water. I didn't care about any of it. At that moment, the water could have kept pouring until it drowned me, and I still wouldn't have cared. After some time, I became vaguely aware of a sound coming from somewhere else in the hotel. Opening my eyes, I blearily looked all around the steam-filled room. It was coming from somewhere above me, a woman's voice singing in low tones, a slow, simple melody. I was confused. There weren't any other guests in the hotel. The only option must have been that Eliza Jane was up there. But then why hadn't she heard me as I struggled up the stairs? I considered trying to call up to her now, but the effort seemed too great and would ultimately be pointless. After all, the only things I wanted right now were the heat of the bath and the rest of my bed. Everything else could wait. So I sank back into the water and rested my eyes once more. I spent what must have been more than an hour in this state before the numbness in my body melted away and I felt able to stand again. By this time the singing had long ceased and the hotel was silent again. I stripped off my soaked bloody clothes and left them in the rose-tinged water. Pain stabbed at me with every step of my injured feet as I walked into the bedroom. As soon as I had made it close enough, I fell on the bed in a boneless heap. With my hair still dripping, I wrapped myself in the covers and hid myself away in the refuge of their embrace, hoping I would never have to emerge. The Outsider, Part 3, Home of the Night Things, was written by Andrew Bate and read by Chloe Gorman with music also by Andrew Bate. The Outsider is a five-part Penny Dreadful novella, produced by Moth Sanctuary Productions as part of Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. Subscribe and download all episodes of the series now, wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on other Moth Sanctuary shows, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com. <laughs>